So it's that time again. Really? What time is it? Time to talk about the uh, private war of Idaho and tomorrow is yesterday part two. It's called a private little war. So let's talk about it. Okay. Well, the war against America happened when Kirk and Spock went in and Spock got shot and he bled green for the first time. Yes, that is true. We've been told this entire time he has green blood. It's nice to actually see it. It's nice that they remembered that. Yes, they usually don't remember things. No, they don't. Um, I don't know. What did you think about A Private Little War? Um, Both of these episodes were great, horrible episodes. Yeah, I can see that. Like, all of the block episodes are just bad. Like, what girls are made of in Cat's Paw, they are just unenjoyably horrible. These were not good episodes, but there were a lot of really either funny or interesting or just plain weird stuff in them. Well, they were I bad, like, but not boring. I like A Private Little War more than I like Return to Tomorrow. Okay. Um, I like Return to Tomorrow a little more than I like The Private Little War. Well, then this should be an interesting episode, shouldn't it? Yeah. So, you know, the thing about A Private Little War is there's way too much going on. Yeah. Uh, there's way too much plot. It's all sort of just kind of there like it's it's there's too much plot but it doesn't feel overstuffed for some reason because things happen and they never really remark on it again and they never talk about it do you know what i mean like there's there's that whole subplot with spock getting shot which doesn't really serve any purpose except to eat up about five minutes of the running time um we also get to meet the cool you know black doctor which is nice to see in uh star trek yeah um keeping its racial uh you know um equality yeah which which is nice uh, you know, the implication there, of course, you know, he, 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 um, studied on Vulcan and he knows Vulcan physiology and, and McCoy doesn't care enough to learn about it. So, uh, they need somebody. Yeah. McCoy has there. this line. It's like, you know, well, his heart's where his liver should be. It's like, no, no, his heart's where his heart should be like that. That's, that's Spock assumedly developed properly for a Vulcan. Well, just... I, you know, I mean, like Zach Hamlin said last week, um, he's a little bit of a xenophobe. Oh, he's a, a little bit of a racist. He's well, a he's a country doctor. Oh my god, he's a hick. Yes, and we've seen that. Yes. Uh, like in uh, 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 this side of paradise. That's like one of my favorite. I love when he gets all or gets all country doctor. Yeah, it is. It is funny. I really just wish that there was one episode with him wearing overalls and a straw hat because that would have just made me made my day. Really. Yeah. Uh, eating fried chicken, of course. I wish I had some fried chicken. So, and the other thing about the episode, too, like, there's that, that, that weird, um, there's, like, the episode turns into a stealth game for about three minutes where they're skulking around. Well, and... you like stealth games. No, I do, but it's just, it, it really just comes out of nowhere, and it just feels like it's there to pad the running time again. Well, and, and, and nothing comes of that whole sequence. Well, it's like Legend of Zelda game. There's always that one stealth level that, like, really doesn't matter, and it's really hard and stupid. And then once you do it the once, like... You can go through the castle back and forth. So really, this is why we have Legend of Zelda, this episode. I mean, it seems to really, uh, I don't know, that, that whole purpose, the whole scene really see, serves a purpose, I think, where it, it just reveals that the Klingons are there. Yeah. But the Klingon doesn't really do anything in the episode. It doesn't really, I mean, we could have the episode without the Klingons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just another thing in this episode that is too overplotted. Yeah, you don't necessarily need a an outside influence causing these two tribes or whatever to have warfare, they can have a reason themselves. A lot of this episode seems like they had about 25 minutes worth of show and are just, it's filler. This, that scene when 
uh, the the witch lady is doing the ritual on Kirk takes like ten hours. Yeah, like, she you know she does something and she has a little chant. It's like okay, that's it, and then she has another chant. It's like all right, okay, and then she changes her dance. It's like this keeps going, doesn't it? Like they really just went with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's 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 interesting too, right? Because her character is like the archetypal femme fatale, which yeah. is really tiresome at this point, and. You know, we've seen those kind of characters nowadays, but they're used sort of ironically to comment on the very idea of the femme fatale. This is definitely a straight up, we think that this is a great thing to do. And it's really not. I mean, it's it's, it's that sort of like women have mystical powers over men and, and, and you know, uh, the only way that they can really get power in a society is to to be sort of in the shadows of powerful men and use their feminine wiles on the men and all that kind of stuff. And it just comes across as really creepy. Well, compare that this to the one um, uh, uh, where they were in the tribe and there was this stuff and there was that really cool lady who was having the baby, but like mountain climbing and like she and McCoy had that. Th- like, remember that one? Yeah, well, no, of course. Like that was a similar. Do I remember it? I, I don't even know what that what, what was that called? I don't remember. Anyway, uh, the, the weird tribe one. Yeah. So, but that character I loved and she has a very similar role in this in that she is the chief's wife and that she is you know, a woman in a society that may, you know, that that has some restrictions on women, but that takes her and says, okay, well, but this is still a very strong, intelligent, complex person. Okay, but... And she's going to have a very... She's going to be able to get as much done as she can within these strictures. Okay, okay, but let's... But let's... Okay, that's a, I think that's a good comparison. Let's contrast yeah. these two characters, yeah. right? And I think in that episode, um, it's a much more interesting take on it because... We don't we we they they state that women are not really powerful in that society, but she has no mystical power. She's not using her feminine wiles. Yeah. You know, it's not this really lazy caricature of uh, female sexuality and, and, and the power that, that that women can have. Um, you know, it, you know, I'm reminded of the fact that that, you know, the 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 United States government is now talking about letting, uh, you know, women serve in all combat roles, yeah. um, opening up the military to them entirely. And. You know, obviously we're being colored by, you know, being away from this for 50 years. But to me, it just seems like, you know, that episode with the giant people and the baby and all that stuff, you know, she's she's shown as a smart and capable woman who gets power and gets control through the, you know, the fact that she is intelligent, not the fact that she's a woman. Whereas she has, I mean, she also has certain. There are restrictions, but she also knows her rights very well. She knows yeah. who she is. And while she uses the limited power she has past its general extent and is able to get more than she would have just out of sheer capability. Yeah, and I also think that that we get a much more uh, clear picture of, of that society in yeah. that episode than we do in this one. Because really all we know about uh, the Hill people, as they're called, is that they're they're peaceful and they're sort of pacifists and they live in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, um, why, we don't know I anything else about that. I'm done with the Garden that. of Eden in Star Trek. Like, <laughs> no, you're not. I and I no, I, I'm done with it. Star Trek, I know, is not done with it. I I I know in Wrath of Khan, it's a kind of a motif in that as yeah. well. But come on. <laughs> well, it goes with the whole Federation as paradise thing, and they're looking for paradise, but. Um, so I, I just, I, I find the character of the wife to be very problematic in this episode. Well, I can't tell what her, stop. what her goals are. And her goals her... seem to be, and this is the thing, right? Is that, that she is the archetypal, like, 
you know, uh, Black Widow. She's just around to to foment chaos and dissent for no reason whatsoever. She's she's an agent of chaos in this episode. A bitch she, goddess. Exactly. <laughs> she's she's a witch, basically. Well, and, they literally call her. Well, they say her people are a witch you know yeah uh tribe or whatever i mean so. even going to the very end of the episode where where she steals kirk's phaser after she um hypnotizes him or whatever she does and she goes to the the the, the foes in the episode the villagers who who have the, we, we haven't even gotten to the, the the weapon thing yet but we'll get there uh and she 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 runs to the to the other side uh, apparently just because she wants people to kill each other for for no particular reason. So she has no uh, she has no logic. She has no goals. She has no loyalty to any one side. She apparently just wants war. And I I actually thought that you know it, it, she was going to be revealed as a Klingon, okay. which I thought would have been very interesting. That, but they yeah. don't. But they don't go there. See, or see, where, where, where I thought this was going because at the beginning she's saying, you know, we need weapons for our people because, and I figured, okay, well then her role in this episode, she believes that, you know, this conflict between the her hill people and the village people can only be solved through military means, and she wants, you know, in order to protect her side, she wants to have the strongest weapons. So while you know she may be advocating violence. She's doing it for a noble reason. Meanwhile, her husband is the one who's saying, you know, no, we can't have violence. And that, that would have been an interesting philosophical conflict. Well, well I, don't, I don't understand that, though. What, what noble reason does she have? To, to save her people because they are being attacked by these till people. Oh, yeah, I guess. People. Yeah. Again, because she feels that her, her, her tribe is under attack. She needs. They need weapons but to she, defend but themselves. She's but not, that's that's she, not where it goes. No, and also she's not of that tribe. Oh, but I mean, they, they very she is married to the true, chief. True. That, you know, while they are not her genetic people, they are. You know, this is where she lives. Yeah, yeah. That that would have been. Yeah. You know, mar- being the chief's wife does give you certain responsibilities towards. I. You know. I, I I think it's a problem with this episode that that the two of us who are not script writers, we are not in any way. Uh, qualified to, to write television i think have come up with two very different and very interesting explanations for her character and her yeah. motivations that have nothing to do with what we actually see on screen yeah again um, and i'm sure there are another couple of other options that could have even worked as well that we're not even thinking of but yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely well what what do you make of of the whole klingon subplot what because... are the klingons there for because the klingons normally seem to want to go in find the strongest guy get the strongest guy to say hey the klingons are awesome you know install him as the puppet king and rule that way yeah. so i i mean maybe Maybe that's why she wants the weapon. She just wants to have the weapon so she becomes the puppet king. I don't know. Like Maybe, yeah. Th- but that isn't mentioned anywhere. That would have been another one. Like, she may not necessarily be a Klingon, but she decides, all right, they've got the strongest stuff, and they're my best chance. Well, that's, I mean, that's that's an interesting take on it, I think. And I wish that that also would have been in the episode, because I, I think that that could have been... A really interesting way to go yeah another set of themes like what when you know it, she's in a society where she has no real power you know and she believes the klingons will give them to that yeah, to her yeah. and that that has a lot of fascinating implications 
But that's not what happens. No, what happens is she has this fight where she, like, they grab her, she struggles free, and she holds up the knife, and she's like, ha, ha, ha. And then while she's doing that, they grab her again, and she struggles free, and she holds up the knife, and she's like, ha, ha. And then finally they kill her after, like, 20 hours of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was, like, a six-hour special episode. Like, right? Like, I, it's not just me. This was a, This one ran long. No, it didn't run long. It felt like it ran long. It ran. I, I, I definitely was, saw was, too much of it. It was fifty minutes, like all the rest of them. It felt like, I, you know, the 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 Klingon thing is interesting, right? Because there's. I was watching this episode, and and I was thinking, oh, this is you know, um, two great powers, the Federation and the Klingons, using the natives. Uh, to to sort of fight a war by proxy, right? And they're supplying the, the the Klingons are supplying the villagers with weapons, and they're even going so far as to make them seem homegrown, right? They're they're yeah. only giving them very basic sort of flintlock weapons. Uh, there's a scene there in the in the stealth part where McCoy and Kirk are hiding um, in in the warehouse, and the Klingon and the the villagers leader, I suppose, is, is who he's supposed to be, come in and they're actually talking, and and you know the Klingon is saying something about, oh well, I'll show we'll we'll show you um, a better way oh, yeah, yeah. to use these weapons and to develop them so that you get some more distance and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so assumingly they're handing him weapons based on a general. Yeah, and then the scene know, needs to end, and McCoy acts stupid and you know his tricorder goes off for no apparent reason and then they realize that there's someone in there this is a very lazy episode no it it? it is lazy but but i think you know it's you know and i was thinking like oh well this is this is a commentary on vietnam this is a commentary on korea this is a commentary on the cold war in general you know the federation are americans and and the klingons are, are russians and you've got your satellite states you know you've got your soviet satellite states you've got your american satellite states and you know, they're, they're making a commentary on that. And that would be interesting. And I think that would be a cool episode. Wait a second. Um, what if at the end she's sacrificing herself? Because at the very – because the entire time, uh, 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 Kirk's goal is to convince the, like, the leader of the Hill people to want guns. And because they feel uh, – I mean, this is my one of my problems with the episode is that the episode is definitely on the side of you need to have weapons to defend yourself. Like that's yeah, yeah. You know. Um, so the entire time Kirk is trying to convince his you know friend he'd been on this planet before to um, you know, get weapons. He's saying no, that's not the right way. What if she, because she does fight very lazily. What if that's on purpose and she's just kind of you know fucking with the hill people or the village with the their villagers. The villagers. Right? She's fucking with the villagers and you know baiting them into killing her. And at that point, he, you know, then the husband says, oh, you know, now I want revenge. And there's, that's when he orders the guns. I mean, it's that's, there's there's nothing in there's nothing else in this script that makes me think that it's as smart as that. And I don't I don't see any evidence for that in the script. Wait, see, that would have been an interesting. Angle well, yeah, that well, yeah. like, well, but here's but here's the thing. And this is why I don't think that that's true. Um You've got all this great stuff about, you know, satellite states and, 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 and cold wars and things like that in the episode. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then Kirk comes right out and says it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it not only says it, but he says, remember Vietnam? Like, yeah. it's so lazy. Especially when you consider that, like, how inconsistent they are with knowing I mean, Earth history. Kirk, from- Kirk may as well have looked at the camera and said, it's about Vietnam viewers. Like it's, it was really dumb. Like I just, that rubbed me the wrong way because it, it, it was so antithetical to what Star Trek was doing. They were, they were using science fiction to 
make points using allegory yeah. about you know the '60s culture, but they had never made it that explicit, and it, and it, it was it, just it was really out of character for the show. And it was also fairly uh, number one. It was it's obvious to you know me in 2013 watching this. So it definitely would have been obvious to somebody in the middle of the Cold War. Like, yeah, this was 1968. Yeah, exactly. Like they, they, this would have been on their minds anyway. What I think is especially funny is how they. I mean, one of the, one of the sub running things of this episode is like, well, we've got to get the Hill people guns, and then everyone will be even, and then we'll, we'll totally be okay. And it's like. But literally what was going on in the world at that time was an arms race in which one side got guns, then the other side got guns, then the first side got bigger guns, and that, like, you know, Butter Battle booked it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, of course, to, no. To, to but... not, I mean, they would have known that theme at the time, like, to, to not even yeah. address that, to think, like— Well, I think, that, I think that's the one, the one part of this episode that is smart, because— um, it's not a commentary on, say, nuclear weapons, for example, because that that doesn't make any sense. It's more a commentary on uh, the great powers, and, and by the great powers, I mean America and the, and the Soviet yeah. Union in the 60s, um, arming other countries, arming other rebel groups. So you have mm. the, the, the Russians giving weapons to the North Koreans. You have the Russians giving weapons to, to, the, um, to the Viet Cong. The U.S. giving weapons to Afghanistan. Ooh. When did they do that? Didn't we do that? Well, now we did. Yeah, no, yeah. I, yeah I'm talking. I'm, ta- I'm talking about in the sixties. I'm talking so. throughout history. Oh, like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was making controversial political. Uh, no, but the Soviet uh, Union did but, that in Afghanistan in the eighties. So I was going to say, this is, but this is a thing that happens, and yeah, yeah. that was. I think that was the smartest part of the episode because at the end of it, they realized that the Klingons are going to be doing this. The Klingons are not going to not. The Klingons are not going to stop giving the villagers weapons, and so. Unfortunately, the Federation has to arm the Hill people to sort of equal it out and hope that it will all hash out yeah. and there will be some sort of like uh, detente even Ooh. if we want to get into some 60s terminology. But we know from history that that doesn't work. Yeah. So it, it, it really does come across as very melancholic, I think, at the very end of the episode. Um, and yet you would think, especially knowing that Vietnam existed you would think that the Kirk would know where this would go. I think he's because at one point he they really do just say they 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 he doesn't seem to be as aware as he's going on. Well, that's why that's are. that's another reason why I think that aspect of this episode is smart because I think Kirk does realize that, but I mm-hmm. think he knows that there's no other choice okay. because the only other choice is that the villagers are eventually going to wipe out the hill people. Yeah, and he doesn't want that to happen. Um, and he doesn't want that to happen, of course, because he lived on this planet 13 yeah. years ago as it was established, and, and Tyree is his friend, uh, but also because he, he wants to preserve the natural order of this planet. No, no, no. It's – you can – again, it's one of those episodes you can see a good episode hiding in, and I think a few other episodes have touched on, if not these exact themes, had the – this similar structure of a plot before and did it better. No, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, what, what do you make of the, the prime directive stuff in this episode? Because I know that you find the prime directive interesting. Well, just because it's a term I know. Yeah. I know so little. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I have to say, I honestly can't really remember much prime directive stuff from there and there's nothing in my notes. 
Well, the only the only thing about the prime directive really in this episode, of course, is that um, uh, the second time when when McCoy and Kirk beam down to the planet after Spock has been shot, yeah. they go back and they're wearing the native garb and everything. Um, the implication there is that that Kirk needs to fix uh, the natural evolution of the planet. They they interfered inappropriately, or someone is interfering inappropriately, and they need to find out why, and they need to fix it. So this is actually, I think, a little bit of an addition to the Prime Directive, where the first time we hear about it, it's you know no identification of self admission, you know do not interfere yeah. um, with the with it the normal evolution of the planet, right? But it's apparently okay to try and fix it if there's a problem, which is actually what we saw last week as well in a piece of the action. Yeah. Um, and I don't think they mentioned the prime directive in that episode specifically. I don't remember. It's definitely alluded to at least. So I think it's an interesting concept and I wonder, you know, there, there's really no analog to it in the real world that I can think of. I, I mean, it, it, it's not dissimilar to, like, just war type of things. I mean, you're, you know, it, it's considered a moral wrong for a country to just up and invade a another country. And, you know, enough conventions, you know, where countries agree not to do that. Sure. Uh, of course, you know, if there is... But, you, but you're, it's justifiable to defend your own country, that type of thing. Um... I mean, again, that's similar enough since we aren't really – I assume anthropologists have some rules about contacting, you know, different civilization, you know, different civilizations and such, you know, now when yeah. you're studying a culture. I don't really know. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I wonder I think about it's, that. It's, yeah, it's, it's – I think we mostly don't have it largely because at this point – like we've – when this was an issue in the world in an age of exploration thing, people didn't really care about that sort of thing yeah. as much. And now that we realize we care about it, it's not as much of an issue just because we've more or less contacted the, the everybody who wants to be contacted. There's there's point. a few minor holdouts exactly, and that you know, live you know in the middle of the Amazon. But aside it, from that, the there types really of people any. who would go and see them have agreed upon some conventions of how they are going to do that. Yeah. So, you know, and I would say the hostility of the environment precludes contact in the first place. So, you know, when we start, you know, if we do start going into space and we do start, you know, finding other civilizations, we will need to come up with some first contact rules and some general, how are we going to, you know, but I would say that's, you know, there you know, there is going to be uh, something along the lines of a Babylon 5 where we are figuring out these diplomacy things. So I would say it wouldn't be – there wouldn't be a prime directive so much as a shitload of laws. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know – well, I think that's interesting is, you know, because if you look at uh, the original series as a Western and you look at it from the point of view of um, – you know the implication there, of course, is that the the galaxy is is largely unexplored in the yeah. original series, and they're the they're you know the Federation and and the, and the Enterprise specifically um, are out there making contact with many alien civilizations and and life forms and discovering a lot of things that no one has ever seen before, and so you don't know what's going to be dangerous, and you don't know what has the capability to destroy you, and so to stay away from it uh, maybe 
a good policy. That, it does make sense. You know, we'll, we'll let the professionals handle these things. But, you know, and obviously Kirk and his, you know, crew are very well trained. You know, th- they, they know first contact protocol backwards and forwards. And this is something that people over, you know, have refined over years, we assume. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, maybe that's it. But the average person, no, no you, you stay the understood roots right now. Yeah. Okay. I, I think the last thing we have to talk about is the Magato. Okay. It's a classic Star Trek thing. It doesn't really have any sort of purpose in the episode whatsoever. I don't know what you're it's talking about. It's just there to attack Kirk. What is this? The giant white gorilla. Oh, that thing! Yeah, the Yeti! Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was like, it was this great sophisticated episode about, you know, arm. it was this great sophisticated episode, arms race, and, you know, cultural relativism, and, you know, the morality of violence, and, you know, suddenly a fucking Yeti comes, and they have, like, the Godzilla sound effect in the background. For It was great. I, mean, I, I, I think it's kind of charming. It is, because you can see the zipper, and it's wonderful. You know? I just, you know, it, it it's so cool, because the original series is just so good at being goofy, and but it's goofy in a really endearing way. It's not goofy in a... You know, there are other there are other television shows that are as goofy as the original series that have not aged well and are basically unwatchable anymore. Um, and, well, and this sort of thing, I think, really goes to show you that a willingness to just go with it and, like, believe in what you're doing and just committing to it is the way to go. I have to say, like, at that point in the episode... What attacked Kirk was the exact last thing that I had been expecting. It completely took me by surprise. I laughed and was a little shocked at it because, like, whoa! You know, like, because, you know, you watch— What is this? Yeah, like, I'm watching it. I'm like, all right, you know, Kirk, desert, it's happening. Okay, they're in Southern California again for the day. Oh, what? A Yeti? Oh, my God! And we didn't even mention that. This is only only the second episode in the second season that we've seen any location shooting in. That's good. So, obviously, this had a budget for whatever reason. <laughs> uh, they well, didn't spend it on the Magatu. But, yeah. And, of course, you know, and the funny thing is that Animal makes absolutely no sense because they're basically in the desert and it's white like a polar bear, which, how does this thing evolve? See, what I figured was they probably, you know, were going through, like, the bins in <laughs> in the studio and they found yeah, some, yeah. you know, maybe, like, in 1949, they filmed, like, Attack of the Yeti or something <laughs> like that. And it was this horror movie about no, a that, Yeti that, like, and they just, was, like... Go, it was actually made for this episode. Well, that's stupid. Like, hey. I figured it was reusing a costume and that made sense. Like, okay, you know, you're saving some pennies. It doesn't... Re- but again, exact last thing you'd expect. A snow white thing in a red desert. Yeah, that's true. And I guess it doesn't need to make any sense, really. Well, look, that thing can eat anything. So it's not like, you know, it needs to camouflage itself. And it is kind of creepy because, of course, it, it works on the sort of cobra thing where it, it poisons you before it eats you, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Um. I guess the last thing we can talk about before we move on to Return to Tomorrow. Um, we've been talking a lot about how this episode is a mess and how it has too much plot and it's overstuffed. It was also written by Roddenberry. And oh. 
Okay. I think this is the only episode that we've seen aside from the cage that has been written by him. Well, number one, that was probably why they. So what had, does that mean? That's probably why they gave it a budget then, because it's like, oh, I wrote the script. We're gonna make it a Mugatu. Oh, whatever. Yeah, we, um, we 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 have a budget for three location shooting episodes in this season, and one of them is going to be the, the episode written by Roddenberry. Yeah, coincidental. Um, and the teleplay was by Roddenberry. The story was not. So. Oh. That kind of impl- uh, the implication weird. to me is that the script as written was really bad and Rodberry made it better, which is oh, kind of scary to think about. You know, it's one of those maybe he's just really good at coming up with characters and coming up with a world and coming up with a concept and a philosophy and a present uh, a, a, a premise. Obviously, he is because you know we would not. He created the show. Yes, he, no, he created this franchise. Like everything came, you know, based on his ideas. He had a very rich, you know, but you know, maybe just like George Lucas, who can come up with a really great story and something that will touch a lot of people, but is just not really good at implementing it himself. There are a lot that of right, be, yeah. there are a lot of writers like that. Um, that's my main issue with Neil Gaiman. Like I think. He has really interesting ideas about worlds and stuff, and his characters are really interesting. I like his phrasings, but he just doesn't really know how to finish his stories, or he doesn't usually pick the best story to fit into that particular world when he's, you know, the Sandman or the book he wrote with Terry Pratchett are much more fleshed out. So, yeah, that may just be it. Maybe just Roddenberry does not know how to write—not everyone's a good scriptwriter. Yeah, yeah. And I I think that's, you know, and I think that's interesting in light of the fact that— um, most of the Star Trek that Roddenberry had a direct hand in, uh, is charitably regarded as not the best. Huh. Let's say okay. the first season of the Next Generation, the first Star Trek movie. Ooh. So yeah, I saw part of the first Star Trek movie once. Oh well, we will I talk about it. Not in about, looking forward. To we'll it. we'll talk about it in what about uh, three or four months? I oh, guess. Oh God, that soon. All right, let's triple it out. Four triples. I'm going to give it six. Did this have checkoff in it? It did not. Five I, triples. Well, maybe it did. Four. I don't. I think he was in the very beginning of the episode. Four and a half triples. Okay. All right, let's move on to Return to Tomorrow. So I have very mixed feelings about this episode. Okay. There are some things about it that I... I won't say like, but I admire and can kind of see what they were trying to do. Okay. But there are other things that just don't work, and I'm not interested in the main problem of the episode whatsoever. Okay. And so for me, this episode is very problematic, I'll say. Well, there's a set of reasons i find it very problematic okay well what are your reasons energy beings yes okay fucking energy beings we need to get that out of the way yeah i'm sorry like this is gonna get zero tribbles from me just because i don't care i the vorlons are the only types of energy beings i'm okay with but it should get an additional one because there's no checkoff in this episode oh no no it's like there's a hierarchy and sulu is back so maybe it should get another one no i hate energy beings more than i like more than i hate Chekhov. wow and more than i like sulu so right. they can't like so now this is like a negative one million triple you're gonna need to come up with some sort of like algebraic equation for this i think i i i, I think i'm just gonna arbitrarily make up <laughs> things as i go along and just give numbers based on my weird mood at the moment so zero triples so, so okay energy beings that's number one energy what, what else beings um 
Oh, we, we, we apparently are, come from aliens, the, the alien seed theory. That, oh, that's, yeah. That's one. That's, that's another. Well, okay. That's, that's actually really interesting Is um, it? in light of much later stuff that happens in Star Trek. But I will leave it at that. We, we will talk about it in about two years. So just remember that. Make a note of it. And How remember, will I possibly remember something two years I'm telling now. you to make a note, so make a note. What what else is problematic? Um, I love Kirk's speech, and I know you hate it, but I love Kirk's speech. Yeah, well, okay. I, I Is that one of your problematic bits? It is one of my problematic okay, bits of the see. episode. So, okay, so the episode is set up. Uh, there's not a lot of plot in this episode, which is very different from A Private Little War, where there was too much plot. The Enterprise uh, is called to a planet by this disembodied voice named Sargon. Turns out that he's a floating energy being in a, in a jar. Uh, they need their bodies because they're stuck and they're the, the, the remnants of a civilization that died or something. We don't really know. Um, they they want to borrow three bodies to build androids for themselves so that they can go out and explore the galaxy. Um and Dr. McCoy thinks this is a very bad idea because partially because uh, Sargon does take over Kirk's body without asking. And there, there's something with the, 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 the biochemistry of, of yeah. having an energy being in your head that um, causes the, the, the human body to react badly with increased heartbeat yeah. and all these kind of metabolic reactions. And it will... It will eventually kill you, which is all fine. Yeah, yeah, it's overclocking um, people. All right. And there's a there's a scene about a mi- you know midway through the episode where <laughs> Kirk and McCoy and Scotty and maybe Spock, I don't remember, are all sitting around a table, and um, you know Kirk gives this very impassioned speech about how they're out there to to to, to take risks and, <laughs> and space is not safe and. You know, we're on a Star Trek, guys, and we need to help people. And all. And I like, loved it. I stood up and clapped and signed up for and, Starfleet immediately. And they, they sh- well, if they wanted to use that as a Starfleet recruiting tool, that would have been fine. I'm sorry. Like, I love. It's when, just like the, I, the, the, the main theme music swells <laughs> up. And I just it was too much like, hey, I'm watching a television show to it, me. That's the thing. Like Shatner's a ham. But I love watching Shatner ham it up because no matter what, yeah. when when Shatner overacts, he's really entertaining. And he was overacting that scene, and it was just he was a hundred percent in it. Like, well, Kirk comes off as just extremely crazy passionate, in, and that works. In general, we haven't talked about this, but but in general, I I watching these episodes in order. Um, you know, Shatner, of course, has a reputation yeah. for, for overreacting and eating the scenery a little bit, um, which in the first season, I don't really see no. that that's a justified complaint. In the second season, he's definitely doing it a lot more. And yeah, yeah, you can see it as the series has progressed. You, you, the way he, you know, the, the Shatner pause that everyone makes fun. Right. He didn't do that in the first season, but he's doing it now. Yeah, you exactly. Know? And you can see which is his him developing his own quote unquote technique but again i feel like it works i feel no like... it no and that's i will never criticize it, yeah. the shatner technique because i love it i mean I, I, he is kirk as far as i'm concerned chris pine can play kirk for as long as he wants to but he's never going to be kirk the way shatner is kirk yeah again and, kirk burns at a very high intensity yeah. all the time so yeah you need an actor who is 
at that level Abs- all the time. Yeah, absolutely. He has a very high energy, and I love I, that. And I want to say I don't have a problem with that scene because of Shatner at all. He he totally sells it. I just have a, a problem with the writing. And that's and, fair. You know, and a problem with the directing, too, because, you know, they— Kirk is giving this impassioned speech and it's very sort of rote and it's very sort of like, oh, we're going to give a mission statement for the show, which we've already done many times before in a much better fashion. Uh, Don't try and compete with City on the Edge Forever, guys. Um, And, you know, reaction shot from McCoy being appropriately awed and a reaction shot from Scotty, who is looking at Kirk like he wants to sleep with him. Uh, There's a reaction shot from uh, Mulville or whatever the fuck her name is. Um, oh yeah, lo- looking appropriately turned on, and it's just like I don't know. It didn't. It didn't work for me. I. I. It. If. 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 If it had been like a a a, a, a tenth of a degree turned t- uh, toned down, I think it would not have worked as much. But I think it was at the exact level of cheesiness that scene needed to be. Okay, that's fair. And then, of course, you know, they, they decide that they're going to do it and they're going to let these these aliens take their bodies over and work on creating these androids. Uh, and this comes in with my second problem with the episode is that most of the episode centers around a love triangle between Sargon. One of the other energy beings that has survived is his wife. Another one is apparently in love with Sargon's wife. And so you have this weird love triangle effect um, it also turns out that the energy being that's in love with Sargon's wife is apparently a serial killer. Um, this is all fine. And Leonard Nimoy does a great job playing a, a creepy ass motherfucker. Um, yeah. A- a- another thing that I loved about this episode. Yeah. I, as possessed, you could tell Nimoy is enjoying the hell out of, you know, playing a very different character. Yeah. Like I, I have no problems with the uh, performances in this episode whatsoever. I just have a problem with centering an episode around three characters that we don't really care about and we never see again. See, and I think it would have been more interesting if the the female uh, person who had been inhabited by the, the alien would have been Uhura or, or, or even Nurse Chapel. Oh, no, it would have been Yeoman Rand. Yeah. Because yeah, remember good. that, you know, this entire time he and... Yeoman Rand would have had an on-again, off-again thing, and maybe even at this point, uh, something would have happened between Spock and Yeoman Rand that would have caused Kirk to get, like, you know, to misinterpret and get jealous for the wrong reasons, but there's still a resonance of that. That could well, have been an element here. This is, again, you you have to give a tiny bit of serialization in order yeah. to do that. But but I think but I think Nurse Chapel would have worked as well, and I think Nurse Chapel would have maybe worked better because, of course, we, we, we know that Nurse Chapel has his secret infatuation with Spock, and um, it would have been interesting to see that go the other way where Spock has this sort of overt infatuation with her and she's not into it and of yeah. course it wouldn't actually have been them but but it would I have been interesting was, to see the tables turn like that i do think it was more interesting how they did it here with her being you know just normal you know no there's chapel who you know is in love with spock and then suddenly someone in spock's body is hitting on her and that's a very complex set of that's true emotions too. that she must be having at this point about that. Yeah. So, you know, giving her having her be possessed by someone else would have taken that out of the equation. And poor Yeoman poor, poor not well, poor Yeoman ran because, you know, poor one out for my homies, but poor Nurse Chapel this week because you know, this week she has to deal with her 
Love is possessed by an evil spirit who's hypnotizing her and trying to kill everybody. And the week before, you know, she had to see Spock almost die and had to hit him to wake him up. And then oh, she, yeah, we didn't talk about that. Yeah, and then Scotty's like, woman, what are you doing? And she's all, but I'm trying to save him. And then the doctor's like, ah, and... Yeah, she's happened. she's not having a good couple of weeks on the Enterprise, basically. <laughs> you know, she's gonna. Yeah, she's. I, I I don't think we'll see her in the next episode. She will be at the at the booby hatch. <laughs> I don't remember if we do or not, but uh, yeah, and I, I you know, and and the thing is too about this episode, um, like I said, I mean, it's appropriately creepy, uh, but but Sargon is not interesting as a character. He's very very vanilla, very like wallpaper. Uh, Mall Hall is is not really a character either, and her her She's her the energy girl of the be- week. <laughs> yeah, her energy being is not very interesting, and so you kind of get this. Um, I don't know. It's like it suddenly becomes dangerous for no particular reason other than they needed to wrap the episode up. Well, again, talk about stakes. So we lose these three energy beings. I don't see why that's a bad thing. So they, you know, whether they, right. whether they make, obviously, yes, when, you know, evil Spock starts attacking, yes, that's a stake. But up till this point, what do we lose? They don't make that clear. Well, they, they try and make it clear a little bit in the beginning where Kirk is talking about, you know, we, we, we don't know how much these aliens could teach us. And... Oh, well, they've done that so many times before. And like humanity has learned nothing from energy beings. At it's this like, point Kirk, come on. It never works out, dude. Look, just talk to Balok. Why, why is, where is Balok this <laughs> entire time, by the way? Like, I wanted to, like, you know how in the last season of, like, Three's Company, they'd have Suzanne Summers come, you know. Yeah, 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 call, yeah. Like, I want to just have Balok, you know, calling everyone, hello, Kirk, you know, just telling him what he's up to <laughs> that day, you know. Him and, you know, him and his, uh, you know, that 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 the, the, the red shirt boyfriend that you know yeah, now yeah. Baylock has like you know just the two of them you know just sitting back and drinking Tranya you know I I want that I would like to see that spinoff actually yeah you know you know maybe if that maybe if the Harry Mudd spinoff had actually happened there would have been an episode where he encounters Baylock Baylock and me yeah, yeah <laughs> that would be cool oh man Baylock and Harry Mudd have to team up. <laughs> And like they use, and like oh, every episode, like Baylock uses that, uh, like the, like the doll to like perform a prank on somebody. Like that's that that that's one of the like every episode type things. You know, I'm having so much more fun talking about this hypothetical Baylock spinoff than I am talking about either of these episodes today. Well, okay, but but, but the other thing about about Returns to Tomorrow as well is sort of the end of the episode where. You know, there's all this sort of like um, musical chair, sort of like farcical comedy going on, but it's not funny, but it's sort of in that vein where, you know, uh, Kirk dies and they think that Sargon is dead, but but Kirk is back in his body and he's okay. And then, uh, you know, Mulhall is, I'm back to being Mulhall. And then, uh, you know, the the receptacles (laughs) have burned up and. You know, McCoy's flipping out because he's like, you just killed Spock. He was a loyal officer. Like, (laughs) ah, you know, and. It turns out that Spock was in Nurse Chapel's body, and Spock Which, was... again, poor Nurse Chapel. Yeah, you know, poor Nurse Chapel. She's having a bad week, and then, uh, then suddenly there's a cut to to Ahura yelling on the bridge because evil Spock is doing something to her. We don't know what, yeah. because su- suddenly these aliens have like magical d- killing powers. Eric, um, I'm going to be very honest. This was again one of those segments where. 
shit's happening, and I don't understand what it was, but I just am watching it all and just saying, okay, well, the plot's being resolved, so, you know, just... In five minutes, it'll all be over. Like, well, that, they, that, that's how I was taking that segment. They 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 were trying to trick the yeah. evil entity that was in Spock to to leave, basically. Yeah, and I got um, that, but I uh, but I, I I I guess it didn't really matter what it how they were fixing it since I didn't care about the problem in the first place. Yeah, you know if if uh, the episodes where the problem is a genuine mystery or it is genuinely interesting, like. The Nomad episode. I was genu- I was genuinely believed that Nomad was a danger, and how are they going to take care- take this one down? What is Kirk going to do? What is his plan going to be? Here, I was not really worried about what the plan is going to be because I just figured, all right, well, he'll fix it, and you know, Kirk's got this one. I-, I I'll let him take care of this. Well, well, again, they have God on their side on this episode. I think I think the heroes will be all right. Well, we'll we'll get to that, but oh, do ag- we have to again? Let's talk about stakes. Yeah, there there aren't any in this episode, really. I mean, the whole episode is centering on the success of three energy being aliens that we've never seen before and don't really care about. Uh, successfully building android bodies for themselves so they can go to Paris, basically, is what I get from the episode. And that may have been interesting, but I don't find that all that interesting. And it has nothing really to do with um, the Enterprise or their mission. And it doesn't really ever come across very interestingly. And again, the love triangle is not interesting. And so there just aren't any stakes in this episode whatsoever until the very end when they try and ratchet up the tension by having evil Spock go yeah. crazy. Um, but it's all resolved in a very sort of like slapdash, this is magic fashion. What is it with episodes that have the word tomorrow in them and uh, a slapdash ending? I mean, come yeah. on. Um, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's, And I have to say... In li- that's the speech like, well, there are th- weird, there's weird shit out there and we've got to do it because we're on a Star Trek. I mean, then they they do it and it turns out to blow up in their faces and they just, you know, managed to escape from being, you know, all killed. So th- doesn't that kind of like contradict the entire theme of the series that like it's good to explore? That's actually, that's actually a good point. Like, and yeah, it, like it, this the, McCoy who has said the entire time. Like, look, I some you know something smells off about this. Like, I'd rather not do this. Um, well, he was right the entire time. They shouldn't have done this. That's actually true. And I mean, if you want to take that to its logical conclusion, um, what are they getting out of being in space? And what are they getting out of exploring it? They don't seem to be getting anything other than a lot of grief. Well, one could think about that way about life. I true. mean, this could kind of imply that you know. You got to do something with your life, well, not, I guess. Not really. Camus said that the first uh, response of the intellectual to the meaninglessness of the universe is suicide. Yeah. I mean— and Which is where we saw Captain Pike at the beginning of the cage. <gasps> that is—yeah, that's oh, a good point, where he was feeling very— Just like, why am I doing yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, And, I mean, you know, in Wrath of Khan, that's essentially where— Kirk is as well because he's saying like I'm older I'm bored like why did I do any of that what am I going to do with my life it's, yeah this is pointless and I mean of course we 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 do know that it's 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 not pointless because 
enough the 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 exploration that the enterprise is engaged in if not in this episode at least in general um they they meet friends they they make the earth safer um you know they do things like that which are important and which actually yeah. do have tangible benefits oh yeah why well, I, I don't think any of us uh, i i think we generally don't agree with the, that it's meaningless absolutely yeah uh, this the show would not be a thing if people did not think that it had meaning this is it. not battlestar galactica in effect yeah i guess um and so i guess that's another reason this is a bad episode because it doesn't seem to halfway through they forget the entire philosophy and moral stance of the entire series like they maybe that's it like this is a bad episode because it just contradicts itself this yeah. is not what star trek is supposed to be yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I kind of agree with that, and I, I, I find the the whole tone of the episode. It feels like an, it feels off. Like the episode just feels off to me. And I think part of the reason why it feels off as well is the direction, right? Because yeah, there's a lot of those? there's there's I don't know. I don't think he directed it. I don't think he directed the original series before. Okay, it's um, not like a Joseph Bevan. No, I don't think so. And um, there's a lot of like off camera angles, and he uses a lot of like low camera angles and things like that, which which give the episode a feeling of being off, which of course makes sense. Because three of our characters, are, well, two of our characters and special guest lady this week, um, are not themselves. But it also makes the show feel weird to me. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's star, be, Because Star Trek is an anthology, it's allowed to go outside of its own formula from time to time and stuff like, you know... Mud's Women. That was a wacky comedy episode. That was a very broad, almost slapstick. And, you know, because it's an anthology, it can do that. Something like uh, Devil in the Dark, which was much more creepy and cerebral, you know, that fits in it as well. Um, Something, you know, so it can do a lot of different types of stories, but one, they strayed too far on this one. So I I think, and, and that's similar to how I find the block episodes. I find he's straying too far from it. Yeah, that could be. That could be. Yeah. Um, it misses the point of what Star Trek is. I think. Well, let's let's talk about the ending a little bit because I I you know we talk about Star Trek. I mean, in the last episode, Private Little War, we talked about um, it, it would have been helped by not making the allegory so explicit. But I think in this episode, it would have helped to make it a little more I- explicit. Um, well, let me ask you this. What the hell is this an allegory for? Well, that's the thing. I don't think it's an allegory so much, but I but I think there is an undercurrent there yeah, of like, well, what, Sargon is almost supposed to be God. And at the very end of the episode, it's very, I mean, it's almost, it is obvious at the very end of the episode, I think that Sargon is at least not, not supposed to be God, but is supposed to stand in for God God-ish. because he's calling them my children yeah. and he's saying, we, you know, we have too much power. We cannot handle these bodies. We need to leave. Um, there's an implication that they created uh, a life on earth. And, and so we don't really, I mean, if you look at this episode, maybe perhaps as not energy beings, but, but fallen gods. Yeah. But we had an episode about fallen gods. That was much better. What episode was that? The Apollo episode, where we have an alien yeah. who is part of a race of aliens who are so advanced that humanity considers them gods. Again, I, and this is a concept that's not just I've not just seen in Star Trek, but in general, sure. that you know, a, 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 an alien that is three billion times us and 
you know, God as we understand it, the difference is kind of irrelevant because they're going, you know, and he's sufficiently ex- yeah, I was about, yeah. Is met. yeah, I was about to say that, yeah. Um, and, and you have at the end realizing that um, being a, you know, being a God to a race that no longer needs it and is now self-sufficient is a sad existence. And at the end you have yeah. Apollo realizing that, you know, Everyone else of his race real, realized that it was time for them to move on, and it's him accepting that. You know, no, you're right. It, 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 I'm done. I've got. I've got to go. Um, and we don't really see that in this episode. I mean, it's kind of at the end. You know, Sargon is all, "We need android bodies." And then you realize, "Oh, we're a little too powerful. Like maybe we shouldn't have android bodies." I mean, that is an implication that they did advance so much that. They just need to advance away, and that's the next step. I guess, well, you know, it's funny because I don't think that he realizes that the android bodies are the problem. I think he realizes that giving them the ability to interact with, uh, I'm going to say lower life forms, even though maybe that's not particularly appropriate, but it's a terminology that you can use. Yeah, um, is, is really the danger there, right? And so... It's not that they're too powerful for the for the android bodies, but but having them allows them to engage in relationships that would tempt them into doing things that they should not be doing. Okay, fair enough. And you know, could just I mean, it's very literal that you know, being possessed by one of these things overclocks the human body to death. You know, and well, yeah. Well, I mean, we so that's a very literal thing. Of these are too powerful for us to deal with, and just. They need to realize they need to move on because they're too advanced beyond us. They, yeah, yeah, they, they, and yeah, and I mean, we didn't even really talk about that whole subplot. I mean, that's where we see the the, the Spock alien the first time we see him being a problem. Where um, they're, they're they they the, one of the reasons why they agree to let the aliens take over three of their bodies is because they can synthesize this formula that allows uh, their 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 metabolism to catch up to the aliens. And uh, you know, Spock gives Kirk. Um, a lesser dose and eventually um, that's going to kill him so that he can take uh, Sargon's wife for himself, I guess. Yeah. And because what, you know, Sargon's wife does seem to enjoy being embodied as as much as evil uh, Spock. And do we remember his name? No. As much as evil Spock does. And And really, I mean, really though, this is, this is the, um, the temptation of the flesh, right? I mean, this is, this is, this is even kind of like a, Kind of an anti-sex episode in a way, a weird way. Oh, no, 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 no. Think about this. This is another Garden of Eden episode because the entire time everyone's all, well, Spock looks like Satan. And he is tempting a woman against her husband to the flesh, which is essentially, I mean, we don't have an apple here, but we have a red colored vial. Yeah, that's that. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's some resonances of that. They're trying to create a paradise, um, they, but, you know, it turns out that they are the, – the the very – the flesh itself breeds corruption, it almost suggests. They can't – you know, the flesh is so pleasurable that – because the entire time they're even saying, like, just just something simple as breathing is – wonderful like every single one of them says oh it's great to breathe and that makes sense yeah and you know wow i can see you know and obviously you know sargon and his wife are very interested in boning um uh you know they say like oh wow you're in a very that's a very comely body you possess there um so you know there are so many things that they can do and 
having an android body is such a gross parody of life. It's going. They will be able to move around and all of that, but they won't be able to have an orgasm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes one wonder, though, like if they're so advanced, why can't? They, but anyway. Or why can't they just grow bodies? Yeah. You know, like that. That would seem to be a, a more easy solution. Yeah. Or they just say like, "All right, well, we'll be in these android bodies for a while." And then now that we're in, once we're in bodies, we'll be able to do some more physical experiments. Because let's assume that they needed to do some physical experiments to do that. Well, android bodies are going to be indefinite, and they got all the time in the world. Yeah. At one point, they even say, like, we've been waiting thousands of years. If we need to wait a little more, you know, we'll deal with it. Yeah, that's true. Um, All right. Well, before we wrap this up, uh, I do want to mention one other thing about this episode, which uh, you may find interesting. I don't know if you will, but I'm going to not find it interesting just to spite. The woman who plays uh, Mall Hill in this episode um, comes back, I believe, in the third season as a different character. Um, And she also comes back as a regular cast member in the second season of The Next Generation. Oh, boy, that's so, a very interesting story. Diana Mulder has okay. a uh, a long, uh, a, a long and, and sort of brief history in the Star Trek franchise, but it, okay. it's interesting to see how they used her in it and so how she kept coming back. She's just like a recur in this in TNG? No, she's a main cast member oh, okay. in TNG for, for in the second season. What's the character's name? Uh, uh, Dr. Pulaski. Okay, I don't know that character. You probably but... haven't seen much of the second season of The Next Generation. Yeah. I, I I know that you've seen a, a few episodes yeah, yeah, of it yeah. here I've and there. Yeah, I've seen later episodes, yeah. but okay. So I just wanted to She's bring that up. She's obviously not one of the major characters, I would assume. She is. No, she is. She's a, oh. main, she's a main cast member. But I mean, like, to the effect of, like, when you think of TNG, you're thinking of, like, you know, uh, Picard. Well, mo- mo- she was and... only there for one season. Yeah, and, and, so. And most, se- most people don't consider the second season to be the best, necessarily. Okay. So, yeah. So that's probably it. Yeah. But I, I just wanted to mention okay. that just to watch out for her because she does come back. Watch out. Um, all right, so how many triples would you give this? I one? would give this zero triples because wow. it had energy beings. I uh, told you. I'll give it four. That would probably be a four triple episode if it didn't have energy beings. Yeah, well, that's fair. Fuck energy beings, man! Like, <laughs> Ooh, I'm you, made of light. Boy. You can't. Were you not paying attention? Yeah, exactly. To the which is why it's like, what's the point of an energy being? Like, I can't make out with it. Yeah. Well, next week, we will be talking about Patterns of Force and By Any Other Name. Now, let me ask you something. Yes. Can I make out with anything in either episode? Yes. Great. I will give them 100 triples. Okay. We'll see you then.